the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Southern California Live. I am your guest host, Scott Burrow. It's great to be with you today. And uh, we've had a great time with each other every day this week. I think I have tested positive for uh, coffee. Your guest host with the most coffee. I think that's who I am. And I get to be with you every day from 3 to 5 right here in Southern California, Los Angeles, and San Diego on KKLA and KPRZ. Good to be with you again and to have some conversation and hopefully some encouragement, maybe a little bit of fun and some interesting approaches to different things of the day. Give me a call at 888-LA-TALKS, 888-528-2557. That's how you get to be part of the conversation, 888-528-2557. I encourage you to put that number in your phone if, and become a regular listener of our program, 888-528-2557. Many things going on, of course. You can also, oh, by the way, you can also email me now at SoCalLive at KKLA.com, SoCalLive at KKLA.com. So hopefully you're ready for this afternoon. Uh, and uh, I am, I've got my coffee, it warms my heart, uh, and my insides in every way, and we get ready for two hours together this afternoon. All right, I hope that you are also feeling well. I know a lot of people are, are sick. There are so many things going on. If you don't have the COVID, well, you got colds and flus. It's kind of interesting. We seem to have forgotten that we get colds and flus. I guess that's one of the reasons that they're telling people to uh, stop getting tested so often because sometimes people are getting, you know, the sniffles, so they go and get tested for COVID. They don't have it. They go home, but then they have a sore throat. They go in and they get tested. They don't have it. Then they have uh, a cough. They go in and test. They don't have it. It's hard to know, right, because you want to know if you have the COVID. But we seem to have forgotten that there are 750 other viruses that might give us those uh, things. I don't know if that's how many there are, but it seems like there are a lot of different ways to uh, to – uh, ruin our day with some kind of sickness and virus. Wherever you are with that, I hope that you're doing well, and I do hope you're taking care of yourself uh, and getting the rest that you need. I think we're in for it for the rest of the month. Lots of people sick and calling in sick, and hopefully we're staying away from the COVID or anything worse. And maybe you have some opportunity to rest, some opportunity to think. And what I am hoping is that this is also giving us all an opportunity to realize that we have some things to do and maybe we can move away from certain partisanships over certain issues that never get solved, that never seem to get solved forever. And sometimes I think one of the reasons we don't solve issues, whether it's immigration or issues related to guns, some of the reason that we can't get a straight answer about COVID and masks and vaccines and other things, so much of it has to do with being partisan, right? We want our side to be right. Whatever side you're on, that's the side. We want to be right, and we're going to fight for that. Um, and politically speaking, it raises money for our side. So, you know, don't, don't do anything that would actually help in the immigration issue, uh, because then it means that the left and the right don't get to send the same fundraising, raising letters out. Is that too cynical of an approach? I don't think it is. I think that's kind of the, the reality. So one of the areas where I think COVID maybe has helped us out is that we are taking a look at schools, and we've been talking about that on this show. It's near and dear to my heart because my whole life, 
I have noticed that our schools need to be better. I have been, uh, I got, I was blessed. I got to go to private uh, Lutheran school, kindergarten through eighth grade, uh, growing up in the Antelope Valley. And I got to go to a Catholic high school. It was a very good college prep school. My parents worked multiple jobs and sacrificed a whole lot in order to do that. And I don't think I appreciated that the same way, except that I do now, as I'm trying to do the same thing for my kids now. And it's hard. And we wouldn't be able to without some help that we've gotten, but also we have sacrificed an awful lot. We drive old cars that are paid for. We don't spend a bunch of money at all on cable TV or a bunch of extra stuff. Uh, we keep the subscriptions down so that we're not paying you know, hundreds of dollars a month to Spotify, Apple Music, uh, all the different things. It's amazing how much money we actually have. Most people actually have when we think about it. But we also know that there are lots of people who they can, they're already sacrificing stuff. Many of you are sacrificing in all of these areas just to eat. And the idea that maybe you could send your kids to a, a different school feels like it's out of the question. And you participate in the lotteries for the charter schools and you pray that God will let you in, let your kid in. And uh, it's a big deal. When the shutdowns happen, my wife is an administrator uh, at a private school. What she does is she's the admissions person. And she has been so busy ever since COVID because everyone in the state is trying to get into that school as best that they can. Well, I think that some of what we're able to do now is maybe take a look at some ways to reform the schools. There are a lot of ways to do that. But one of the ways that is positive, I think, uh, is in school choice, which is becoming something more mainstream, a little bit more bipartisan. It used to be something that was coming mostly from the right But uh, there's a lot of Democrats and people on the left who are on that page as well. And it's happening in multiple states now across the country. There is uh, a person who is uh, in the state of uh, state senator from uh, Nebraska. We played a little bit from him yesterday. Uh, Go ahead and play that clip. Number one. Yes, I was writing something down. I wasn't sure. Did you say it'll take about 50 years to fix Omaha? Yeah. So. Omaha won't be fixed for 50 years. And what are we going to tell those parents in the meantime when, they, when they're looking to, for choice? I mean, I, I don't, honestly, I don't know. Thank you. Thank you, Senator Hansen. That was uh, State Senator Justin Wayne from the state of Nebraska, who for a long time was against school choice, but now he has changed his mind. And he asked, how long is this going to take for my community? My community can't wait any longer. And he asked this question, how long can we wait before schools change in Omaha? And the response he got was 50 years. You can Google this and find uh, the video of it. You should see the look on his face when the response is 50 years to fix Omaha schools. And he goes, 50 years? Did you say 50? Five zero. And somebody else says, yes. And so what are we going to tell parents in the meantime, he says, when they're looking for choice? And the other guy says, "Uh, honestly, I don't know. For 50 years, we've been waiting for change in schools. For 50 years, we have been saying much of the same thing. And now, is it going to take another 50 years? I think that we have an opportunity now to do something uh, about this, to do something that is different. Would you agree? Um, I have a guest with me today who is going to talk about this. His name is Michael Alexander. He's a proponent for the Educational Freedom Act. And uh, he is the founder and president of California School Choice Foundation right here in California and the chairman of Californians for School Choice. He's a Southern California native, a veteran of the United States Marine Corps, graduate of USC Gould School of Law. 
and uh, he is with me here today on Southern California Live. Michael, welcome to our program. Well, Scott, thank you. Uh, it's great to be on your program and to talk to your wonderful audience about this very timely issue, school choice. Yeah, well, thank you for joining me. Tell me, what's your story? How did you get involved in the school choice debate? You, you know, it's funny. Um, uh, it, it, it's the question that I'm always asked. It's the one that, in a lot of ways, I'm least prepared for because uh, I, I really want to, you know, get right into the issues. But I do understand. Um, I, I, I'm a parent. I'm a grandparent. I'm a Californian. I've been, I'm passionate about education. Um, uh, I've benefited from school choice. That is, my parents uh, scraped and scrimped uh, to send me and my brothers to Catholic school when we were young and put us through Catholic school all the way. <clears throat> we weren't rich. <laughs> you know, uh, we weren't poor, but uh, it was a great sacrifice. Uh, I've always been interested uh, in, in education, and, and I've been particularly passionate about it over the last 10 years as I've watched uh, the state of California put more and more money into the school system and get less and less for it. We're now 48th in the nation. And and as you and I talked uh, uh, talked about earlier uh, today, Scott, it's important not only that I get an education or my children or grandchildren get an education, everybody needs to have access to quality education because otherwise our society simply doesn't work and so that's the source of my uh, my passion on this yes i've seen all the abuses but access to quality education so we can break the cycle of poverty that's the source of my passion you know i think that there is um maybe some uh, thought, different thoughts that people have even when we talk about education. When you talk about education, what is education in your mind? Yes. Uh, to me, education, uh, uh, first of all, is the fulfillment of the parents' obligation to raise their children. And that need, means their their right and duty to form a child morally uh, yeah, intellectually and also religiously. This formation belongs to the parents as the first educators, and and these rights have been usurped and coerced away from parents economically. But that is what an education means. It means an, an education uh, in basic tenets. And for those of us who come from the Judeo-Christian uh, tradition, it means formation uh, in, in that tradition. It also means formation of basic morality. And yes, a mastery of the basic uh, skills, reading, writing, calculation, uh, history of our country, uh, history of the world and appreciation of economics. It, you know, it's a broad thing, but these things are commonly shared by, by I think, most citizens. Yeah, I think most people, all of us parents, I think everybody listening who's a parent or a grandparent, I know mm -hmm. that uh, the number of grandparents who are raising kids today is uh, significant. Yes. It's a very large number, and a lot mm -hmm. of people who are listening right now, um, you're raising foster kids or you're raising kids that you've uh, adopted, your guardian, an aunt or an uncle, for various reasons, a lot of single parents uh, listening today. 
um, yes. who have a great burden. And honestly, it's hard to even think about because you're so busy because you oh, have yes. so many yeah. of your own difficulties, right? You said that, I thought this was interesting. You said that, that the needs that we have to raise our kids have been wrestled away from parents or guardians economically. What did you mean by that? What I mean by that is that, uh, well, let's go to how our system operates. Just a little over 100 years ago, the government decided that it was going to get into the education business, and it was going to institute what we now know as compulsory schooling. So it makes all children uh, go to school, which is, by the way, a good thing that they should go to school. But the government coerces it. Uh, In order to pay for all that education, the government taxes us. Well, when we look here in California, uh, uh, we see that we have very high taxes, a very high cost of living. And so parents, although they technically have the ability, the legal right to choose, in fact, don't have the the financial means to exercise that choice so when we when we when we look at the polls here we find that about 70% of all persons polled citizens parents alike favor some form of choice in education but in California only about 7% and that number's dropping actually have their children in uh, in private school so you know that 63% gap between the people who want choice and the people who actually have it is represented by the, the explained by the fact that they simply don't have the money in California also your listeners should be aware of how we fund education the basic funding mechanism in California is what is known as proposition 98 which was passed back in the 80s and essentially that earmarks 40% of California's general tax revenues for this enterprise they're pleased to call education and uh, as a practical matter, what that means is that everybody in California will pay for K-12 education from the time that they're three or four years old and buy their first pay- pair of Mickey Mouse ears uh, or other taxable item at Disneyland up to the time that when they're of advanced age and they're paying tax on the coffin that they're buying. You pay for K-12. Forty percent of the general tax revenues go for K-12 your whole life. So that's your money. There's no question that everybody's going to pay for K-12 education. The only question is whether they're actually going to get it. And and this arrangement that we have, I mean, municipal services are high, taxes are high, and now hit by inflation, Scott, uh, parents and families, especially young families, are up against it. And that's why we uh, have authored the Educational Freedom Act. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your guest host. You can give us a call and speak with our our guest today at 888-LA-TALKS, 888-528-2557. My my guest today um, is Michael Alexander, and he is uh, the head of – he's a proponent for the Educational Freedom Act, and he's the founder and president of the California School Choice Foundation. Uh, Michael, as we talk about the economics of it – of education in our state. You mentioned that we're 48th 
Um, I've Googled, yes. you know, different surveys that measure different things in our state. I noticed uh, all of them have a somewhere in the 40s, and some of them, they will throw in some of our great universities, Stanford and UCLA, yeah. and, and that sort of increases our number when we put those in. But when you take those out, and you're talking about particularly K-12, through we don't do very well. But my understanding no. is we spend more money by far than any other state. Is that correct? I, I think so. We're For right pupil. up there. You know, I should know that data better than I uh, better than I do. But I can tell you right now that uh, that overall spending is over twenty one thousand dollars per year per student, and and the average per pupil expenditure just under Prop ninety eight, the basic funding mechanism, is fourteen thousand dollars per year. So. Uh, we're we're spending uh, plenty of money, and as John Kupal, uh, uh pointed out in his recent article, uh, you know, adjusted spending, you know, inflation adjusted spending, has doubled uh, o- over the last uh, ten or fifteen years, and yet our educational results have gone down. And then you add in uh, the last couple of years where despite the fact that children were not at risk they, uh, for COVID, they shut the schools down and went to remote, what they call remote learning. Hey, remember, Scott, when we used to call that homeschooling? Right. Uh, which they hated? Well, now they call it remote learning, and it's okay. That means teachers get, uh, members of the teachers union get paid. So uh, our performance has dropped, uh, social adjustment has dropped, and basically parents have, uh, and everybody else have been at the mercy of an inflexible, unresponsive uh, bureaucracy. And yet, when this is when they're not teaching. When they're actually teaching, believe it or not, it gets worse. And for parents in communities of faith, uh, the, uh, you know, the government in the form of the, uh, the government agents who teach in these schools have once again usurped and taken over the rights of the parents uh, in, in matters of, of sex uh, and sexual morality and other, uh, uh, and other things. They, they're articulating a very controversial uh, view of, of man. Uh, a very controversial view of, of the United States. Now, many of your listeners listeners may have very different political perspectives and may be all right with them, to which I say, fine, just let parents make the choice. Let them find a school that properly reflects their values and uh, their religious orientation. And, and you'd be surprised how many Muslim parents are very upset about this arrangement as well. So it's not just uh, conservative Catholics or, uh, you know, uh, so-called fundamentalist Christians. It's a lot of decent people in a lot of different religions, and they're tired of this. And and you you take black parents, they are irritated over not only... uh, certain sexual uh, education uh, curricula, but they're very upset over teaching the CRT, which they think is the wrong way to go for their community. But once again, there's no true diversity uh, in what is taught. It's the very opposite of free intellectual inquiry. Parents are tired of it. That's why they want their money, uh, so they can educate their own children. When did it change that schools became a lot more interested in teaching 
uh, different kinds of moral teachings or values. In the old days, uh, even the public schools, you know, they would stay away from, you know, some were, some were probably a lot more Christian, honestly. You know, I think uh, yes. the state, state sure. of Texas was still teaching the Gospel of John, yeah. maybe into the 70s, right? Um, but, the, sure. the, but the teaching really had a lot more to do with the golden rule, you know, yes. love your neighbor as yourself, which is acceptable to everybody. Uh, when did it change yes. where moral teaching, um, other things really became more of an agenda with public schools? I, I think, you know, it is, is difficult for me because I never went to public schools or, or had children in them. Yeah. There are a few times they're in there for a short time during some professional transition. They might have been there for a few weeks. But outside of that, I don't know. So a lot of my information is anecdotal here. But I think like everything else, we can trace it back to the 70s and the 80s. But, Scott, I would trace it back 100 years ago. Uh, we can trace it back to John Dewey and the progressives and uh, the the uh, titans of industry, Rockefeller, Ford. Yeah, 100 years ago. When you go back in the first part of the 20th century, when they were ramping up this whole concept of compulsory education, and, and the whole idea was, was that the government and industry would come together to properly educate and orient and equip American citizens to participate in, in, in this new era, this new industrial era that had kicked off maybe, you know, the Industrial Revolution kicked in really heavy in the late 19th century uh, here in the United States. So there was a political vision and a social and an economic vision that preceded all of this. It, was, it provided the framework. And everything was going along okay as long as uh, we had a fairly homogenous society and what was being taught in the schools uh, was not terribly offensive. But by the time you get to the 80s and the 90s, and certainly by, by the early 2000s, you can see that uh, a, a very progressive, very liberal, or leftist agenda Lots of things, uh, was uh, being implemented in the schools. Yeah. And, and Michael, was, i got uh, to take a quick break, so oh, I want to come back to you. This is Southern California Live. You're listening to uh, Michael Alexander. He is the president of California School Choice Foundation. I'm Scott Furrier, your guest host. You can call in and join us on this conversation at 888-LA-TALKS, 888-528-2557. We'll be right back with Michael Alexander right after the break. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your guest host today. Great to have you with us. My guest is Michael Alexander, who is a proponent of the Educational Freedom Act. He's the founder and president of the California School Choice Foundation. You can join our conversation at 888-528-2557, 888-LA-TALKS. And we're talking about the history of public schools and uh, where things are headed now, especially with schools with school choice initiatives. Uh, before the break, Michael, we were talking about the history and when it began to change. You know, I think that there's still, you know, in a hundred years ago when public schools really began, you know, there was still an ideal, a great intention 
of educating yes. our society that this was a good mm-hmm. thing because so many people just weren't educated. Um, my understanding that's, is like yeah, the term. That, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say the term Sunday school. The term Sunday school is because the only place you got an education was at church school for a long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then what happened? What were you going to say? Yeah. uh, You you know, first of all, I failed to mention our website, which is California, all spelled out CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. Please go there, everybody, and sign up, and you can find out a lot more about our program. To go back to the question, if you if, if I were to pick out two times, I would say a hundred years ago when we first herded everybody into this thing called government school, and then in the fifties when there was a systematic attack on prayer in the public schools. This was this is the great cultural divide. This is uh the uh, the American system being consciously secular. Uh, and, and and reflecting the desire that religion be a very private thing as far as gov- uh, the state is concerned. It is something uh, it, to be pursued on Sunday some other time, but not as part of the curriculum. And so uh, Madeline Murray O'Hare, many of your listeners will remember that, that gal, uh, she and uh, uh, the ACLU and everybody else were running around attacking any expression of religion. Now, the point is not that they were bad or that our schools should be centers of religion, but if you're looking for a cultural dividing point, I would point to that. And, and then you see, see this again uh, with the rise of uh, radical feminism, uh, LGBTQ, uh, and so forth, the you know, so-called gay rights movement. Well, these things inevitably had expressions in the school system. And what became conventional thinking or widely accepted ideas, everybody felt uh, should become the official position of, of the state. And it's kind of, of unavoidable if you put the the government and the business. So when I'm asked about prayers, uh, what I think about prayer in the classroom, my reply is always that my problem isn't with God in the classroom. My problem is with government in the classroom. And whether uh, uh, whether prayer or religion or anything else is taught in that classroom is entirely up to the parents and the families for them to decide rather than to me to force an atheist child uh, to pray with me or the other way around. That's so there's a whole the lot American of way. yeah. There's a whole lot of change that's happened. I think people are, are pretty aware of that. You know, I point back to the prayer decision as you you took that out, and almost all of our problems mm-hmm. kind of come back to that era. Uh, and that yes. period of time. So today, as uh, parents got an opportunity through the COVID thing, especially to take a look at what's happening in schools, they got to sit down and be in class with their kids. Um, and, you know, and for many parents, that was horrifying. Um, yeah. It was also horrifying for many parents to find out their kids didn't even go to school during this period of time, and they're way behind. Mm-hmm. Um, what do we do? So you're part of the school choice movement. And uh, how does school yes. choice address uh, the issue of parents who feel like they're stuck in one school, and especially those who feel like they don't have the ability financially uh, to choose a sure. different 
place for their kids? Great, great question, and I got a great answer. The Educational Freedom Act, which is uh, the school choice version of school choice that we are currently soliciting signatures for, that has four key provisions. Number one, it'll create what is known as an educational savings account, an ESA, for any K-12 child in California on the request of the parent or guardian. Number two, that account will annually be credited with that child's share of basic educational funding in California, and that amount is currently $14,000 per year per child. Not per family, $14,000 a year per child. Number three, the parents, not the, not the uh, school board, not your zip code, not the teachers union, the parents will be able to direct those trust funds to a, an accredited participating private or parochial school, religious school. And number four, keep any money they have left over for college, vocational training, or other qualified educational expense. And this also covers homeschoolers. It's a very simple uh, simple matter. So if one of your listeners uh, currently has a child or grandchild uh, in, a, uh, in a public school, you, there will be uh, a format where they uh, send their request to participate, to have a, an education savings account set up. You find a school that's ready to accept you, sign a contract, Determine what the what the tuition is in the open market. Uh, it may be fourteen. It may be more than fourteen. And very often for K through six or seven, it'll be less than fourteen, which will let you save. It's uh, probably a lot less. Now, I'm, I'm yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm fascinated about that uh, number there because my kids are in private school, two of them, and it's less mm-hmm. than fourteen thousand combined. So there's a lot of money yeah, available in this program for people to. Uh, uh, go to other schools. Let me take a call real quick here. I've got Jerry from Please. Ventura. Jerry from Ventura, welcome to Southern California Live uh, with our hi, guest. Uh, yeah, hi, Jerry. Hi, uh, appreciate you putting me on. Um, I'm glad to, uh, I just happened to be, you know, flipping through the radio dial driving here through L.A. County. And um, I'm glad there's folks that are actually thinking that uh, the way I do, that, uh, yeah, I've always can, you know, believe in this is a taxation and representation issue. And because you're dealing with people that, um, you know, are secular, have no spiritual basis, and generally their ideology is their religion, whether they admit it or not. So if you attack the problem like, uh, like the, the gentleman is there with the fiduciary account, and people are able, you know, to choose how their tax dollars are spent and how they educate their children uh, uh i agree 100 percent, and i'm i'm just overjoyed that somebody is uh somebody is taking the initiative to do this um uh and i support it wholeheartedly uh, and uh uh kudos to you all right well thank you jerry well, thank, for your call yeah, thank you jerry now be sure uh, uh jerry to go to californiaschoolchoice.org Go there, sign up, let us know who you are, and we'll, get, we'll connect you with somebody and get you a petition to sign because we need over 1 million signatures in the next 90 days. So your support is critical, Jerry. Thank you for calling in. 
So we we're talking about education savings accounts, and basically your tax yeah. dollars would get into a savings account that you can only use for the education of your kid. You can Correct. choose where they go. So it isn't just uh, religious schools. It can be to other private schools or homeschooling or other yeah. options that uh, would come up. Uh, my That's assumption. correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Other states. For your other list- states. Go ahead. Yeah. For your listeners, uh, homeschooling parents do not repeat, do not get paid for teaching their kids. But that money does accrue in that savings account and can be spent with uh, in association with a related um, a private school that can help supervise and reimburse your, your out-of-pocket expenses. But the parents never get to touch the money directly. That That's stays important. in the kid's account. Yeah, it is. So we are far more transparent and careful about how money is spent in the uh, education savings account market than they are in this mess that they call the public school system. Other states uh, use education savings accounts. Um, how's it going in other states? Uh, it's going well. Those ESAs are usually limited to certain expenses. And in school choices, we know it very seldom, if ever, permits uh, uh, the parents to, to go to a private school. Usually choice comes down to some choice among performing public schools, which, of course, creates a, a demand problem, right? That's right. what this guy, uh, uh, it was, uh, I forget what his name was, Wayne, Jerry? I forget oh. his last name. Uh, yeah, the fellow in Nebraska. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, that you, you, you played uh, uh, a tape of him earlier. Well, that's what he was complaining about. Uh, you know, uh, everybody was going to improve the schools, but it was going to take forever. Because, and that's because the choice was limited to government schools. Our program is, and it's fitting that this should happen in California, ours is a breakthrough approach. It's pure. It's universal. Applies to every student. Applies in every circumstance. And no matter who you are uh, or how much or how little you make, you've got your basic educational funding. The money follows the student, not the zip code or the union. Yeah, all right. Well, uh, hey, if you're listening, you can join us. Uh, this is Southern California Live, and our guest is Michael Alexander. We're talking about school choice. The number is 888-528-2557. And uh, can you stay along through the uh, next break? We'll have one more segment if you can to. stay with me, Michael. Great. Fantastic. All right, if, you, if you've got any questions for Michael, please give me a call, 888-528-2557. When we come back, I'll talk a little bit about uh, maybe some of the challenges or the objections to school choice. Some of them are historical. Some of them are hysterical. Um, and some of them maybe we uh, should address to it. Uh, and we can talk about that in just a couple moments when we come back. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your guest host. The number again is 888 We'll be back in just a couple of moments. Back in just a couple of moments. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everybody, to Southern California Live. We're glad to have you with us this afternoon, this fine Wednesday afternoon. And uh, we're talking about school choice. And uh, we have a guest with our our program today, Michael Alexander, is with us. Let's go to the phones. Jesse from Harupa Valley. Jesse, thank you for calling with our guest, Michael Alexander. Hi, thanks for having me. 
Uh, I was just yeah. wondering if this is a taxpayer-funded program, what, um, if any, you know, way do we have to stop the government from regulating it, you know, by, like, telling us how to use our funds or, you know, in that kind of way? Sure. Yeah. Uh, what, what was your first name again? Jesse. Uh, Jesse. Jesse. Yeah, Jesse. Uh, great question, and you beat me to it. One, one of the our, our most frequently asked questions, it's a great one, and that is, hey, if we take government money, won't the government be able to come in and tell us what to teach, how to teach, and and basically transform our private school uh, into an institution that's no different than the public school? And, and as you might imagine, uh, that was uppermost in our con- considerations when we were drafting this initiative, which you will find at CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. And, and if you will look uh, into particularly the middle part of it, you, if you open up the petition, look for protections, limitations on refusal to fund. And when, when you go in there, you see that we, we systematically prohibited uh, the government from conditioning receipt of the funds upon curriculum mandates. Uh, for for example, uh, you know, we, uh, the government is prohibited from imposing, quote, any curriculum mandates, student or faculty disciplinary policies, admission policies, or teacher credentialing requirements as a condition of eligibility or funding. That's the specific language uh, uh, right out of there. We also uh, make sure that that the government may not refuse to fund either a school or a student's uh, trust account because of some of the money might be used for religious purposes. So we we prohibit them from discriminating against homeschoolers or faith-based organizations uh, and make it clear that educational expenses include but are not limited to, quote, curriculum, books, online courses, religious or, and academic course materials, school supplies and equipment, academic tutoring, academic testing fees, et cetera, et cetera. Then specifically, a faith-based educational curriculum shall not be excluded. So we have language in there that specifically prevents the government from doing exactly what you're concerned about, Jesse. It's a great question. As you, as you might imagine, we wouldn't draft a bill that didn't contain those protections. They're that important. Jesse, right. thank and you that's for your typically call. All those- all those protections are typically what they try to regulate homeschooling. Every single mm-hmm. one you mentioned right. was it has been right. a bill that they've tried to introduce to regulate homeschooling. So that's awesome that you cover all that. Correct. Yeah. And let me say something else uh, to a lot. Uh, there's a lot of people out there who are not persuaded by what I just said. I had a conversation with them last night, and they continue to insist that we do it. They won't support the bill, so forth and so on. But when when people say, well, look, if I take that government money, <clears throat> there's going to be strings attached, so forth and so on, and I won't be able to uh, – to uh, to teach my kids the way I want to or run my school the way I want to. But let's really strip that statement down to what they're saying. And everybody listen carefully. What that guy is really saying is that if I don't accept the money, if I just stay here 
in my bunker and I don't take a dollar from the government, everything's going to be okay. I'm going to be all right. They won't come for me. They won't, they won't shut down the charter schools. They won't make homeschooling illegal. They'll leave our churches open. They won't tell us how to worship or when or if or how, right? Uh-oh, that just happened, didn't it? So refusing to take government money under any circumstances is no solution. The solution is an initiative like ours, the Educational Freedom Act, in which we, as parents, as citizens, push back against the government and stop avoiding this conflict. This conflict is not only unavoidable, it's well underway. We've already lost control of our children. We've already lost control of our, ch- uh, of our churches, have we not? We've lost control of just about every doggone thing you can describe. We need a massive social movement directed back at this totalitarian apparatus that we find at the federal and state level. And the only way to do it is by taking our kids back. Because this problem, Jesse, and everybody out there, this problem began 100 years ago when we first turned our children over to the government for what they called education. And I can tell you that we're not going to change what's wrong in this country unless we first take back our children, their hearts, their minds, their souls, and dare I say, our money. Thank you, Jesse, for your call. And uh, Michael, you're obviously a wealth of information on this subject. So let me ask you this. There is obviously pushback. I think, you know, historically there have been, uh, uh, you know, it's been kind of a partisan issue, uh, school choice on the right against school choice on the left. And uh, there's an article that was in the Washington Post a couple of months ago, uh, really just saying that uh, this goes back to the same rationale that was back in the 1950s whenever Brown decision was made that applied to public schools that desegregated. And there were a lot of kind of white people who felt like, I want out of these schools if they're going to do that. And that was kind of the beginning. But that's not the same thing now. And one of the things I wanted to ask is, is what about pushback that, you know, what pushback will you be getting? And what uh, would your response be for that uh, today? The pushback will will be 100 to 200 million dollars from the teachers unions and left-wing operations uh, who don't want to lose control of over $100 billion a year in California. Right. They've got a heck of a monopoly, Scott. Yeah, it's a big deal. You know, let's, yeah, it's a huge deal. And, and, and they, they do not want uh, to, to turn children back over uh, to their parents to teach them what they want. They want this monopoly. They want this indoctrination. They want this mind control. They don't want citizens thinking for themselves. It's the worst nightmare. The pushback will be out now demonic in its ferocity and its vehemence. Uh, there will be some well-meaning but misguided people who will say that the government shouldn't uh, be funding private education. Well, the government's not funding anything. We are taxpayers, parents. Right. I just got through describing you know, how our tax system works. It's us. It's we who actually pay these taxes. The government's got nothing to do with it. And the real argument here is not what is the argument for school choice. The question is, can anybody tell me what possible rationale there is for a public 
school monopoly over all education and over the minds and thoughts of 6.2 million children in the state of California. That's nonsense. There is no such case. It's unprecedented in history, and we've only been trying it for about the last 100 years. Time to turn the kids back over to the parents, to faith communities, and to other community-based organizations to raise their children in accordance with community standards rather than this international leftist operation we got going. There's a whole lot of different uh, uh, things I think that this will impact. You know, one of the things that I, I hope happens, even with a lot of the discussion here, is that at the end of the day, if something like this were to pass, it would force the changes in the public school system. Uh, because the, I yes. think public schools are inevitable. There's still going to be public schools no matter what happens, yes. and they need to get right. better. I, I think one of the concerns is that some kids whose parents are not advocating for them or who are in situations where the parents are unable to do that for various reasons, uh, sometimes they're uninterested, there's a lot of reasons, are going to get left behind. So what would you say yes. you know, to the parent who you know, deep down maybe likes this idea but is very scared of it because – uh, they don't want their kid to be actually in a worse situation if they don't have uh, the time or the ability well, to. Yeah, uh, no, I, I hear that. By the way, that's a great way to put it, and I frequently hear that. And and, uh, and uh, I, I always ask him, how does it get worse? Right. Well, that's a good yeah. question. You, you, I think that's I, where I think that's where worse? people are, though. From Forty-eight to fifty. Yeah. I mean, uh, would they shut down the schools entirely? Oh. I forgot. They already did that. You know, people just aren't paying attention. Now, I want to, you, you said something very important. The big word is, and the word that they fear most, is the C word, competition. Mm-hmm. And the institutions that will improve most will be the public schools because yes. they will no longer be able to subsidize. Uh, uh, they will not have the uh, craziness. And they, the administrators and school boards who don't want to see their schools shut down will now have the leverage that they need to push back at the most radical elements in, in, the, uh, in, in the society and in the ranks of the teachers' unions. They'll just say, hey, look, we, teach, we keep teaching this stuff. We're going to keep losing these people. And, you know, as men and women of faith, uh, let us not forget our special uh, uh, obligation to those who are poor, to those who, uh, who don't even hobla, who cannot speak for themselves. We must speak for the least among us, for those who are hurting the worst. And right now, because you know, so many children in our system, particularly children of color, uh, children from other places, children mm-hmm. of parents who can't speak a lick, these children are moving into an, an ever-expanding I'm lower, running up on a, on a hard break here, but I understand where you're oh, going. Okay. I understand yeah. where you're going and, with and, it, and we want to make yes, sure we get uh, your website out here. You know, we all share the future, all of us yes. together. And change is scary. Right. It's very scary. And something that needs to happen here in order for this to pass in California is it's going to have to be nonpartisan, right? This Nothing passes without yes. Democratic voters uh, supporting it in our That's state. Right. So uh, I want to— Yeah, well, we want to keep this conversation going, but we're out of time. I want to thank you, Michael, for being here. The website is www.californiaschoolchoice.org, and you can sign the petition to get this on the ballot. When is that due? That you know, We have to have them all in as it happens 90 days from today, April 11th, so we need to get them in all by March 31st. 
All right. Michael, thank you very much for joining me on Southern California Live. I really appreciate it. And thank you, Scott. God bless. All right. God bless you. Everyone, this is Southern California Live, our Wednesday edition. I'm Scott Furrow, your guest host. It's great to be with you. We'll be back again for the second hour here in just a couple of moments. You can join our conversation at 888-528-2557. And you can go to kkla.com or kprz.com if you're in San Diego for more information. I'll be back in just a moment. Stay tuned. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.